1: macuhealth with micromycel the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and micromycel technology
2: oie broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media we use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today
0: welcome back to part two of my interview with dr greg caldwell in this episode we continue our discussion on oct and OCT angiography. Dr. Caldwell also shares other technologies he uses to help his patients. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell. Also, please leave comments. Be sure to watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. Okay, so let's move on to macular degeneration. And, you know, we use the uh, Beckman classification Uh, Maybe it's becoming obsolete, but I think it helps, helps eye doctors kind of stage where patients are with uh, macular degeneration as we move to macular degeneration. Talk about the Beckman classification pros and cons and, and how you view it.
3: Yeah. So the the Beckman classification Carrie, I put it up here for us, um, yeah, it, it, I have a love hate for it. You know, we needed something to understand this disease, you know, back years ago, help stage it, help us Just to wrap our minds around it. But, you know, as we fast forward into, you know, 2021, 2022, starting to learn about macular degeneration and the early stages um, of the uh, the lipid deposits in Brooks membrane, and then the chronic inflammation, the assault that's going on out there in that outer retina. And then as chronic inflammation occurs, then we get a drusen formation. And we just kind of have to remind ourselves that the Beckman classification is a nice way to stage. But one of the things that I scratch my head about is we call this no AMD or no macular degeneration. But yet there are small drusen or less than 63 microns of of drusen there. So, you know, no pigmentary abnormalities, okay, which tells us we're early in in the disease. But it's kind of hard for me to say that there's no AMD when we know that we've already gone through multiple stages of of the lipid deposits in Brooks membrane, oxidative stress, oxidative damage, more Uh, accumulation, and then now a drusen, and to call it no AMD that's out there. So I guess um, we probably need to have a new classification. Back in the day, it was good to help us know that to talk to the patients, you know, no AMD or minimal AMD, early, intermediate, uh, and then advanced so to help kind of stage and then put us into some type of treatment protocol.
0: I know for me, if I have any drusen, I want to start treating myself even if they're less than 63 microns, because as far as I'm concerned, that shows that they're starting to be diseased. Even though in the ARAD study, in the original study, uh, it showed in five years, it wasn't really any significant change as far as vision goes. But what happens 15, 20 years out and, and, uh, and, And there was also some indication that there really wasn't enough people to power that study. So that's where it came from, that no AMD, but certainly as as a primary care physician, once I see any type of changes in the macular, I'm going to start to recommend uh, supplementation, uh, lifestyle change to try to prevent An increase in the extrusion so people don't wind up with macular degeneration because as you know you and me and all eye doctors out there who have seen patients who've had wet amd that's a really a miserable disease starting and the core component of chronic disease like you said before is macular degeneration so we want to try to get as much inflammation out of the person you know usually inflammation comes from the big belly a a poor diet a lack of exercise whether it's smoking eating the standard american diet uh you know 63 percent of the food that we eat is processed food so we want to try to get the people on the right track and and start them off with the right nutrients which we're going to talk about later lutein mesozeaxanthin and zeaxanthin and then of course, other nutrients to layer on top of that. But I think, you know, I think you make a great point because, you know, things have changed just like with uh, diabetes. You know, if there was no hemorrhages it wasn't considered diabetic retinopathy but as the technology changes and the technology gets better we have to up our game.
3: Yeah, I agree. And another another way to look at it too is you know, back in the day, again when I graduated, um, you know, when I was treating glaucoma and making a diagnosis of glaucoma, we were we were looking at nerve fiber layer, you know, red free filters, pictures, notching of the neuroretinal rim, uh, visual field defects, and now we're able to pick up nerve fiber layer dropout. We're able to pick up ganglion cell loss. Um, That would be almost like labeling, you know, someone has a clean visual field and a a good neuroretinal rim and on photograph, it looks like the nerve fiber layer is intact, but we're picking up ganglion cell dropout and we're picking up nerve fiber layer loss and saying, oh, it's, it's no glaucoma yet. So we just got to tweak it um, just as technology has gone by. So I guess the best thing is for the listeners out there is that, you know, no AMD is AMD. So.
0: And the earlier you pick up a disease, the better the outcome and you start, you start treating these people. The later you wait, of course, in the spectrum of the disease, the worse the outcome. Whether you're dealing with uh, macular degeneration or you're dealing with serious, other serious diseases such as cancer or Alzheimer's, you wanna to try to pick these things up as early as possible to try to give the, people the, best, the patient the best shot of trying to slow things down and maybe even present, prevent things.
3: Absolutely. Yep. Couldn't have said it any better. So, yep.
0: So where does AMD start? If you could talk about that.
3: Yeah. Let's see if I have a slide here, just to kind of, you know, point out, this is one of my slides to talk about, you know, hyper and hypofluorescence, but I'm going to go back to it just to kind of remind us down here is that choroidal layer. Here's that RPE. And, and so, you know, this is the inner side of the eye. So this is the inner side of the RPE that outer side between the RPE, and, and it's so small that you can't see it. There's a Brooks membrane in here. It's, it's smaller than that five to six microns, so you can't see it, but that's where that you know, that oil uh, accumulation starts to build up, that little oil slick is what I say. And then you start getting a breakdown of, the, uh, of that nutrients putting that oxidative stress onto the RPE and even the photoreceptor, which then creates, you know, inflammation and damage. And then eventually you see that drusen pop up. So kind of point out on this OCT right out in this uh, outer RPE uh, anterior choroid in that Brooks membrane.
0: I'm very fascinated when we see, uh, when we see uh, changes in the, in the retina in the, that shows signs of progression. If you could go over some changes of macular degeneration that show that the macular degeneration is actually getting right worse, such as like hyperreflective reflective foci, uh, sub RPE, hyperreflective columns. Uh, if you could show that and explain that.
3: Yeah, there, there's, you know, there, uh, there are, you know, kind of six that are out there, but really the easiest ones to kind of show Real quickly on an OCT are the ones that you've identified there. Um, So that's kind of knowing again, that's why this hypo and hyper uh, is needed. So just to remind everyone, anything that's white is hyper, anything that's in a black like this column here from this, this is another one of those normal blood vessels carry right here. And you can see that it's just blocking because there's blood in there and it's just blocking that signal. So this is one of the uh, one of my funnest, I was driving home one day to kind of show this, those, those hyper-reflective columns, you know, the, the cloud bank is here, but there's a hole in the cloud, and you could see the, you know, the, the sun ray, the camera didn't really do it justice, maybe here you could see it a little bit better, there's this big cloud bank, and then there's a hole, and then, the, you know, the light rays are poking down through, and we've all seen that happen uh, in, in, in our days of living here. And why that's important is because I'm going to now use the analogy that the cloud is the RPE, uh, and I'm going to click back here, that cloud is that RPE that really blocks that coherent light from getting into the choroid. So whenever I'm evaluating someone with macular degeneration, what I like to do is look at the choroid. So you can kind of see here when you look at the RPE, it's a little bit lumpy and bumpy. I'm going to take a little bit away of the, of the photo here of the picture. And you're going to see now, if you look at the choroid, you could start seeing that there's these little columns. Those are those hyperreflective columns. What is that telling us? It's telling us that that RPE is diseased and it's allowing that light to get down through. Now, let me just show you, this is just a terrible disease. This is geographic atrophy. If you just watch this outer, nu- or, yeah, this outer nuclear layer here, and you could just see what's happening, because goes crashing all the way down to where the RPE is and just where a Brooks membrane is. So this whole outer retina from here, and you can see how it comes across to here, this whole outer retina, including the RPE, is missing. And you can just see how this whole choroid that, that coherent light is getting down there, just terrible geographic atrophy here. So as we move forward and we start looking at these at these different OCT images, you mentioned about a hyperreflective foci. And that's what we're looking at right here is in this OCT. And if you come across and you just follow this mitochondria line, all of a sudden it just disappears right here. So now we're going to have some vision loss in this area. The RPE is starting to migrate because of this drusenoid PED. So this is a great example of a hyperreflective foci. And that's not good. If that wasn't there before, when you looked at it three, four, six months ago, and now it's there, that's just a sign of progression. So OCD, OCT, predictors of progression, that is what you're seeing here with this foci. And let's see here, here's another one right here, a hyperreflective foci, not really great columns. You can kind of see that there's some column breaking down here, but this is more of hyperreflective foci. Now this is a good one here now, of now we're starting to see the columns. Here is a column. Here's another column. And what that's telling us, Carrie, is right here above that, that RPE is breaking down. You can start to see if we follow the, the that ellipsoid zone, that photoreceptor integrity line. I don't like calling it that. I like calling it the mitochondria line. And as we come across, look, where is it? And we're having a tough time following it. We're seeing... Um, we're seeing dropout here, we're seeing oxidative damage, we're seeing stress that's occurring. So um, then it picks back up. So lots of advanced disease going on here, lots of oxidative stress, the foci, the, I'm sorry, the columns here, we're seeing a little bit of the foci, and then the, the dropout of the, of the mitochondria line. And I'll just kind of keep going. This is a nice wide angle cut. And this is a great representation here. Look at this hyperreflective column this hyperreflective column down through here. And as we go through, we know that the RPE is breaking down right in this area, but look right above it, the the mitochondria being damaged, and now we're getting a little bit of a RPE scar. So when I examine macular degeneration, I love looking uh, at the, at the choroid and looking for these columns. And here, oh, here's a, Here's a uh, pseudo-reticular drusen right here. This is another bad outcome, a predictor of outcome for a patient. You could see some columns here. And uh, this is just a large drusenoid PED. This one here is geographic atrophy. So this is actually a neat photo to look at. You could see there's so much atrophy going on in this area that you could actually see the blood vessels of the core, uh, of the choroid or the chorocapularis. You could see the dropout here, but what I'm trying to show you is down here, look at these big areas of these hyperreflective columns. So these are really never really good to see. You could see the amount of RPE dropout, the lights coming in here. So looking at the choroid of, of a macular degeneration patient is really one of my funnest things. So those last few slides there, we kind of highlighted the the predictors of progression of the those columns and those uh, hyperreflective foci.
0: And let's talk about uh, choroidal neovascular membranes, classic and occult. What would that look like?
3: Yeah. So occult, uh, or we'll just jump right in here. And this is one of my favorite slides to do here. And I always tease when I do the lecture, if you're gonna. Um, you know, buy the OCT, buy the one that has the arrow that points out the, the pathology, right? The, the little extra $10,000 spend. there, just joking. Um, the arrow is intact here. And my point here, why I'm hiding all of this is because, you know, well, we've all become pretty good at um, of evaluating a, uh, an OCT and going by what we just talked about, you could see that there's some hyperreflective reflective hyper-reflective columns. Uh, we could see the drusenoid PEDs, but never would have I have guessed that there's a choroidoneovascular membrane sitting here. And this is one of those patients where you'd say, okay, we talked about what you were mentioning before, your nutraceuticals, your diet, quit smoking, get those systemic diseases under control, wear those sunglasses. Hey, I'll see you in nine months, but then they bled uh, within that time period, maybe even two or three months after you saw them. And remember the disease for macular degeneration is not in that deep plexus. It starts to show up um, as that type two that you talked about classic. So this is still pretty clean. Now I'm going to take away the last photo here and show you that here's that choroidal neovascular membrane that is right here at this arrow, which has now led us to a new name. It's an occult, non-exudative, choroidal neovascular membrane. We're able to see these now. Fluorescein angiography would not pick up on this. Two reasons why. It's below the RPE. That's where you need ICG or green. But when's the last time we saw someone do that? And it's not leaking. So this is an occult, non-exudative choroidal neovascular membrane. And it's in the choroid, as we could see here, and I'm good, you're good, and I think we'd all say, everyone that's good at interpreting an OCT, that we would not be predicting that this uh, occult coronal membrane, which now we throw in the extra um, uh, adjectives here, the non-exudative, because it's not leaking.
0: We know it has a 15 times greater chance of leaking if you didn't have that. So that brings us to the question... Are they going to treat it or they're not going to treat it? Are they going to watch it or are they going to treat it?
3: Yeah, so it it took me a few of these to work with my retinologist. So the best thing to do is find a retinologist, become friendly, let them know that you have this technology. The technology is certainly outpacing those double blinded studies that we all love to use that's out there. And um, so if they're small little buds, I follow them. But then if they're starting to advance over time, I will document that, print that out, and get that off to my retinologist. Explain to the patient, say, "Look, you've got this. Uh, you know, it's not bleeding at this time. This occult, non-exudative choroidal membrane. We've watched this over the last three, four, six months. It's growing. You know, it might be a time to intervene. But like you said, it's that 15 times greater risk. It's starting to grow. I'm um, starting to advance. Um, you know, I think you're starting to see." more and more retinologists come on board with treating it. But if it's just sitting there and not really budging, you're doing aggressive therapy, uh, proper antioxidants, the, the, uh, the sunglasses, the exercise, changing of the diet. I've actually seen these stay the same or actually even reverse. And you know maybe it's the body also healing it too. So you don't have to treat them all, but if they're progressing, um, I'm hoping that they get a, 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 an anti-VEGF injection.
0: So, this is occult. It's below the RPE. Now, let's talk about the classic.
3: Yeah. So, uh, and the other thing to point out about the occult is they're usually outside like the foveo vascular zone uh, whenever you see them kind of break through and become classic. Uh, Classic is more uh, in. Let me just show you. um, Yeah, yeah, let me just show you. Yeah, let me show you. This is an occult here um, that's actually leaking. So the, the difference between this one, this is a type one occult, it's non-exudative. You can see the choroidal neovascular membrane here, but what we're seeing is that it's leaking. So we're able to tell what's uh, what's going uh, with this here is that this is the type one occult that's, that's leaking. Now, this is one I'd like to show off is that again, uh, I image all of my drusen now with OCTA, and never my wildest dreams would I ever have thought these two drusen early on, which would be no AMD carry. Uh, we would say because it's exactly. small, no, no AMD, right? <laughs> Watch what happens when you image this one. Now you can see the normal choroidal vasculature, but you can see there's this little hot spot right here. So it's kind of going up into the choroid. It's becoming vascularized there's a drusenoid ped that's vascularized look at this uh non uh this occult non exudative chordal membrane so uh yeah that's why circle that, circle that a
0: couple times so everybody here's good
3: yeah right here this is on the three by three so this is the three by three here we're able to zoom in this right here is the uh, chordal neovascular membrane that non-exudative, it's not leaking. So you can see there's no fluid up there. So using the B-scan and using the OCTA, it's been really fun. This is a six by six. So you're kind of zoomed out a little bit. So this right here is this zoomed in, which is what this is right here. So just, uh, just amazing technology that's out there. Terrific.
1: macuhealth your science born and tested solutions for visual performance macular degeneration
3: and dry eye syndrome new products coming soon embrace the science
2: oie broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media we use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today
3: you asked about the the classic that's what's showing up here And just to kind of remind everyone, here's the choroid, the RPE or Brooks membrane, I'm sorry, Brooks membrane. So choroid, Brooks membrane, it has broken through and now we're above the RPE. So that's why if we go down and we start looking, we could see the coronal neovascular membrane in the choroid, but now it's in the outer retina. And what I was mentioning before is when it breaks through, if it's a classic, it's usually in the... uh, in the foveal vascular zone. So now we're, <laughs> now we're above. So if you would do a fluorescent angiography on this, you would be able to see it because it's above, but it might not be oozing or it might not be oozing a lot uh, on this one here. It's kind of, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of fluid down here in the B scan, but it would probably ooze a little bit, uh, but it would definitely light up on the fluorescent angiography.
0: Fantastic pictures.
3: Yeah, so this is one of my favorites here. If I'll just jump right in and just uh, just show you this is, uh, um, this is the type three. We talked about type one. Uh, we talked about type two. This is type three, which is really not choroidal neovascular membrane. Type three is retinal uh, uh, angiomatosis proliferans, or what you hear called RAP. So it's actually manifests and starts in the retina. So that's why it's kind of a misnomer to say that there's four types of neovascular membrane. Type one and two is a neovascular membrane. Type four is a mix of one and two. But type three is truly a, a retinal neo that kind of goes anterior first, then posterior creates this little uh, pigmented epithelial detachment. But you were talking before, see this blood, how it's flowing in here? That's not normal. There's an abnormal membrane growing in this retina. Look how it's leaking. And this was a fun one, Carrie. This is where you talk about prevention, early diagnosis. You can see here where I am with the crosshairs. I am outside the fovea zone. I'm inferior temporal away. And we were able to get this to the retinologist because you can see it's leaking. And the retinologist agreed and we were able to get a Avastin on board rather quickly. And here's the patient before, and here's the patient afterwards. Look first, one, how blood flow is inside this membrane. Look how that VEGF just goes in and shuts those capillaries down. You could see the fluid, how it, how it decreased. And look how the retina flattened down. You can see the hump here from the edema. You could see how it flattened down talking about saving someone's vision is this you know this case right here is a reason why i'm so glad i had you know the you know, OCT and OCT angiography
0: beautiful so what do you have any other cases that uh, let me see what want, i have here no nope, nope. yeah. let's talk yeah. about treatment yeah so the so we have cases that when that don't need to be referred and even if they are t- to be referred they still need to be treated from a lifestyle point of view. Take us through how you look at treating patients from a lifestyle uh, uh, point of view.
3: Yeah, well, the first thing is if, if they smoke, um, I beg, I plead, I grovel. I know it's such a, an addictive uh, uh, habit that's out there, so I don't take it lightly um, that, you know, when those receptors are tickled that it's, you know, it's so easy to tell someone to quit smoking, but, you know, if they smoke, I try to beg and, and plead with them to get into a smoking sensation program, you know, smoking depletes the serum antioxidants, it decreases the, the pigmentary density, um, which then leads to an increased risk of advanced macular degeneration, you know, our body triages, uh, and so, uh, we could do the best. We could be eating uh, great fruits and vegetables and trying to change our eating habits. But as soon as you smoke that cigarette and you get all those toxins, your body says, forget the cells, take care of uh, of all those toxins coming in. So again, I try to beg and plead for the smoking. And then okay. it comes down...
0: Uh, about smoking, there was once a study done that showed that if a doctor just told people just to stop smoking alone and didn't even give all the reasons why, ten percent will stop smoking, ninety percent will continue, but ten percent will stop. So now there's all these different programs, and you know certainly when people are staring down the barrel of uh, blindness. They do have an incentive to change, but of course, as you said, you know, seeing patients for many years, a lot of them just can't.
3: Right. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, you know, so part of that, you know, change in lifestyle is one, if they're a smoker, quit smoking, but then diet, um, you know, we have to get the patients off those high sugary uh, diets. You know, you talked about the standard American diet, the processed foods that's out there. Get them into, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, the leafy greens that are out there, and, uh, and 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 exercise. And I tell my patients, look, you don't have to jump out and join some you know fitness gym or whatever. Just, you know, I've seen a, a study, and I'm sure you have, where, you know, just walking two blocks a day and how that can decrease the risk of a choroidal neovascular membrane. So, you know, when I talked to these patients, I said, look, little changes can go a long way but we got to keep building on those little changes to make them big changes. So, you know, cutting out and changing that diet. I I even go as far as telling the patient, look, I don't even want to put you on supplements unless you're going to do something with a little bit of diet and exercise because just supplements alone just aren't enough. So we got to do something with those diet and lifestyle. And if they do have any systemic diseases, we want to make sure that we change um, you know, or manage those diseases that are oxidatively stressed. So high blood pressure, diabetes, and that dyslipidemia that's out there. We want to make sure that those are all under control.
0: You know, when it comes to diet, even eating eggs a couple times a week have been shown to decrease the risk of macular degeneration. There's been new studies on eating oranges. Uh, Joanna Seddon was the pioneer who in the, in the 90s showed that eating uh, green leafy vegetables decreased the risk of macular degeneration by about 43%. And she even, not that we want anyone to smoke, but she even showed that if you have a diet high in carotenoids, lutein and zeaxanthin from, from uh, dark green leafy vi- vegetables, you could actually mitigate the changes of smoking. That doesn't mean people should smoke, but certainly, uh, it could help. Uh, it could it could actually help mitigate it, and uh, diet could also decrease the risk of cataracts. Having a, a good diet, and when uh, people are on a high glycemic diet, they increase their they double their risk of of, of macular degeneration. If they have the big belly, uh, they. They double the risk of macular degeneration. And when you you mention exercise, you know, exercise is there's been at least five exercises that shows, show that exercise could decrease the risk of macular degeneration up to 40%. And Julie Mars did a study with exercise, stopping smoking and uh and, 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 a, and a better diet, you could lower your risk of macular degeneration advancing by about 73%. And I do like, you know, I always do recommend a a lutein zeaxanthin, a measles zeaxanthin supplement. I, you know, and, uh, but I do talk to people about diet and lifestyle change. And I am surprised that most patients always say to me, nobody's ever talked to me about this. And people want to know about it. Very rarely do I ever have somebody say, you know, I'm not interested in changing my diet or improving my lifestyle. Whether or not they could stay on it for a long period of time, you know, that's you know, that's that's debatable. Also, omega threes can decrease your risk of AMD. There's been studies uh, uh, close to forty percent. Same with vitamin D. And, and and then, you know, taking a, a supplement like a health, which is, you know, a sponsor of this show and adding a, a very good quality multivitamin on top of it to fill in some of the other nutrients, which you're going to talk about, because we don't, we don't only want to treat uh, the macular pigment, but even though the macular pigment is a protection against the R the P and the RPE and the photoreceptors but we want to nurture the rest of the retina. And that's something that you're going to talk about going forward.
3: Yeah, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, you couldn't have teed that up any, any, any better here when it comes to, you know, supplements and, and treating that, that macular pigment. Uh, you know, it all starts, you know, you have to have a healthy macular pigment. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, first of all, when it comes to macular pigment, I always remind uh, everyone is that it's the third lens of the eye you have your cornea, you have your crystalline lens and that macular pigment, you know, it's there to absorb blue light, decrease, give us really good acuity. That's why, you know, people could have glare problems and not have a cataract. So I think it's an unsung hero part of the eye. We forget about it being that third lens and then it's protection that it does give, you know, it absorbs that blue light that, that can get down into that mitochondria and into that choroid. So having a robust, healthy macular pigment, like you said, it always starts there, lutein, zeaxanthin, and having a healthy mesozeaxanthin. So you have to have a great macular pigment. But I think we would be unfair to say that's where it ends. And that's what I've been really trying to talk about is that, you know, that retina is a metabolic engine. And so treating that inner retina, no doubt, lutein, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin, But then going to that full retina and remember that macular pigment, the macula is, is in a sense, if you go from the foveola, just go two disc diameters both ways and two disc diameters up, that macula is about five and a half millimeters. Well, that retina is huge. So we have to get back again to that macular pigment, but then go and supplement that rest of that retina uh, with you know, like a lute or with a, uh, like a a resveratrol that we talked about a little bit earlier, or quercetin, or, um, you know, like an alpha lipoic uh, acid, that stuff that's all in the outer retina. So I kind of like to have a mix. And as we start throwing out the quercetins, the catechins, what's in green tea, um, we're starting to separate out polyphenols and flavonoids, which are now become important. So we talk about the carotenoids, but we also got to remember polyphenols and flavonoids in that outer retina, where a lot of that disease is going on, can really complement what's going on with something like macular health uh, and that lutein uh, uh, zeaxanthin and mesozeaxanthin.
0: And polyphenols are micronutrients that are found in plants. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of micronutrients found in plants. And, you know, certainly they're very important for the whole body, including the retina. Absolutely.
3: You know, in, in talking about treatment here, we talked about, uh, you know, the, uh, um, we talked about the nutrients. We also don't want to forget about retinal light protection the, from that sun exposure. I always like to mention here, observation and closer follow-up is definitely a treatment. You know, when you're following someone with for you know, glaucoma suspect observation as a treatment, but closer follow up too. Instead of you know twelve months, you know you're going to shorten them to six months, maybe based on some of the technology that we talked about. Those hyperreflective columns, those foci that we talked about. We talked about a uh, you know an, a, an occult non-exudative choroidal vascular membrane, and I think you know we also need to remind everyone that. Once a person gets to that advanced stage, low vision and vision rehab is definitely another treatment that's out there for those patients to help them with their lifestyle. So, lots of lots of good stuff out there that we can do for macular degeneration.
0: And, and I, we did a great podcast on low vision. I think low vision is something that's often ignored, in eye care. And uh, if you go back, uh, Stephanie Schmidecki did a beautiful uh, podcast with me on low vision. So for people that need low vision services, I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast because it's, she did a fantastic job.
3: Yeah, I think I started to listen to that, Carrie, and I I thank you for the reminder because I'm definitely going to go back. So yes, thank you.
0: So, uh, so let's talk about how we measure macular pigment, and which is the best way to measure macular pigment, because there's, there's, ways to directly measure it and now there's a way you could actually ma- measure just carotenoids in the hand and you know what what's interesting is 93 percent the the 93 uh, percent of the Americans are deficient in at least one nutrient and that's something that every 10 years or so uh, Americans are tested to see, what their nutrients level, levels are and that's 90 and 93% and i know that you're a, a very big proponent of measuring carotenoids in the hand scanner and you found that it's and their studies show they have good studies that it's 94% so it it, it measures up pretty well
3: yeah it's it, it's yeah i am a big proponent of measuring carotenoids again we talked about earlier early detection and, and it spills beyond um, you know, macular degeneration, you know, oxidative stress uh, from diabetes, uh, we can certainly help out in diabetic retinopathy. But just in general, patients are coming in and just trying to help uh, patients out from just having low carotenoids and just boosting up carotenoids in their body just as a defense mechanism. And, it, and if you just Google benefits of carotenoids, you'll just see the different uh, benefits that are out there. But you know, I'm an eye doctor, so I'm trying to make that eye is always under assault. There's carotenoids in the anterior chamber, glaucoma. Uh, the trabecular meshwork is under assault. They show that carotenoids can help with the oxidation to the trabecular meshwork. So we're talking front of the eye, we're talking back of the eye. So it's truly important to, to really uh, get those uh, measurements. Now, You mentioned there's a few different ways and there's a skin way to do it. uh, And that's through Raman spectroscopy. There is a serum way of doing it and then you can actually measure it uh, in the macula. So, you know, I think everyone realizes, you know, serum, you're gonna have to go for a blood draw. It's an invasive way. You're gonna have to wait a few, uh, you know, weeks or days to get the results. Here's a way of measuring the macular pigments in the eye. Um, you know, I, I, we joked around one time with, with uh, Dr. Chris Putnam, you know, he's done his, his PhD in this arena. And, you know, we said, well, you can always do a, a, a retina ma- uh, macular biopsy, just kind of in joking, right? Who's going to biopsy the macula and create scar tissue. Uh, but that's one way, I guess, of measuring it. But then there's some clinical ways, subjective and clinical, and there's different companies out there. Um, So you could do serum, you can measure it right in the macula with these different clinical and subjective ways of doing it. But as you mentioned, uh, one of the quickest ways that I love doing it in the office, in the palm of the hands, uh, through the biophotonic scanner, uh, using resonant Raman spectroscopy, which, you know, back in the 1930s, won a Nobel Prize uh, for, in a sense... Uh, using a gre- uh, a blue light shining into the into the skin. Now they just pick the palm of the hand because it's less influenced by, you know, maybe sunlight. It's a nice fat pad that's there, and we know that carotenoids, you know, they they they're they're a fatty substance, so they build into the cell membrane, and so that's just a nice place for a nice accumulation for for carotenoids. So. They, they sh- put light into the hand at 478 nanometers. That's blue light. Carotenoids are yellow. I hate making this Nobel Prize sound so simple, but then yellow and blue make green, and it comes out as a certain green wavelength, and then you're able to measure it. And you could see on this scale here, you know, 60,000 and above would be like an A+. Plus. Blue would be an A+ uh, green would be a B then C D and E. And when you start showing this to patients and a lot of the times Carrie, 90% of my patients are coming in on, on some type of vitamins and they know they should be doing something. They know that they're, um, that they're, uh, they should be doing that. Their diets are bad. And, and it's, this is kind of like a nice little lie detector. They're taking a, a, a vitamin. They put their hand on here and they're like, Oh, I guess my vitamin really isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. So then getting them on and changing and helping guiding them is really nice. So this is the biophotonic scanner. It's a way to measure it in the skin. And Arvo actually did a study back in 2016 and I have it referenced here. And, you know, going against, uh, in a sense, the, the MPOD devices versus the hand scanner. And this is one, you know, the, the, the relationship between macular skin and serum and coming out and basically saying that the objective hand scanner is a lot better than those, you know, those, those devices that measure macular pigment, which are MPOD devices. So yeah, this has really been a nice 30-second scan in the clinic to be able to obtain this and really help the patients and grade them and help them get motivated on their now, you know, diet and lifestyle and now supplement changes.
0: As I mentioned before, the USDA tests Americans' nutrition every ten years, and it shows ninety-three percent are deficient in at least one nutrient, and about eighteen percent of people. It's so bad that they're almost like killing themselves. And this matches up very well with that USDA uh, uh, studies that they do every ten years or so.
3: Yeah, and in talking to the to the company. They have over 30 million scans, and it's all connected, kind of Bluetooth, no personal data um, goes out, and it's connected then to to the Internet, and they're able just to kind of see the scores. Again, patients' data is not transferred, but just the score, and they have 30 uh, million scans now, over 30 million scans, supporting that 93 to 94, just like you said.
0: Well, I want to thank Dr. Greg Caldwell for joining me today. Even though we did this kind of late, Uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And uh, is there anything else that you want to say? I see you have another slide. If you want to show that slide about oxidation,
3: yeah, this is uh, this is actually a pretty cool carry. So I just kind of want to take it home out there, just to kind of for for everyone listening. This is a cell membrane. This is just a cartoon of a cell membrane here, that phospholipid bilayer membrane where we know it's fatty. And this would be the inside of the cell and this would be the outside of the cell. So I, you know, I like to teach and I like to, you know, for people to understand when we recommend like an omega type of supplement, you know, whether it's, you know, like uh, someone's supposed to eat olive oil. So the omega nines, and we know about omega sixes and threes and so on and so forth. What we're really trying to do is make this uh, cell membrane, this this phospholipid bilayer membrane lipid, you know, we're, we're, we're treating it, we're making it healthy, we're giving it its nutrients that it needs. So this is where your omegas go in and work. And I think we all know that vitamin E is a fat soluble type of vitamin. And what that does is when you have that nice, ready to embed and lace with those carotenoids and antioxidants and polyphenols, the vitamin E will build up. Vitamin C is water soluble. We always hear the, the patient saying, oh, you're just trying to make my urine or pee expensive. But yeah, it is water soluble. It goes to the outside and to the inside of the cell. And if you need uh, 800 milligrams and you take a thousand, sure, you're going to waste in a sense you know, 200, but we're getting it to the optimal levels. And then what I want to point out is we have beta carotene and lutein and lycopene that are all fat soluble. And look, the omegas uh, that are out there say three, six, and nine are building up making this cell membrane very healthy. And then you're taking all these antioxidants, lutein and beta carotene, lycopene and lacing that membrane. And then you have the water solubles. This is a cell membrane, carry that is protected from that oxidative stress. We don't want it looking like this. We want a membrane that is properly uh, protected, and this is what we want. This is what we talk about when we're trying to get to those perfect supplementations or increased supplementations.
0: Well, it just shows the importance of having a good diet, a good lifestyle, taking nutrition, You know, because, I mean, if you look at something like spinach in in 1950, one bowl of spinach, the amount of nutrients, you have to eat about 50 of those bowls of spinach to get the same amount of nutrients. And that has been shown. So, uh, you know, nutrition is very, very important. And sometimes we all forget about it as as patients and as doctors. But, you know, we have to have our have the proper nutrition.
3: Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, uh, Carrie, I just want to say, you know, you know, thank you. You know, being asked back is truly an honor and a pleasure, especially from someone that's uh, has that just recently got their their movie released here. You know, open your eyes. You've taken the time to really open our eyes to the world uh, and really show the importance of an eye exam that's out there. And, yeah, encouraging people to go see their eye doctor, get their eyes checked. There's 300 diseases that can be detected. So, one, I want to thank you for what you've done. And also, thank you for having me be here tonight.
0: Well, I really appreciate that, Greg. And if people want to find out more about you, how can they do that?
3: Yeah, um, just in a sense, they can email me. Uh, they can email me at greg at optometricedu.com. Uh, or I certainly don't mind them texting me. I give my cell phone out to my patients and it's on all my handouts. So 814-931-2030. Certainly throw me a text anytime or email me again at greg at Thanks
0: again, Dr. Cardwell. For Open Your Eyes, this is Dr. Kerry Gelb. Thank you for joining us.
2: OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today.
1: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy.
3: Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have
2: gone the opposite way.
0: Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them.
2: We are certainly headed for
3: disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor.
0: So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels.
3: Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health.
2: Because this disease is here, it's also gonna be here. And
3: I can look into the back of my eyeball and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it.
1: The eye is the canary of the mind.
3: The eye is the kingdom. Will everyone please?
2: Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra, and my roommates certainly don't mind.
0: It's a good thing I had Safe For You
3: to clean up after this little guy.
2: When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You.
1: And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me. AND YOU.